wave pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate and commercially surfable wave pools are opening around the world. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. My name is Nick Robinson and through my guests we take a detailed look at this fascinating new game. Check us out on wavepoolmag.com. For your curiosity and stuff. Good afternoon from Portugal and welcome to another edition of the Wave Pool Mag podcast. So last week we had Wave Garden with their 43 projects around the world. We're focusing on one project this week up in the very cold climate of Norway. So who would have thunk it? A surf pool in Norway. Daniel Figueiredo is originally from Brazil and he came, he's got a fascinating story of how he came to Norway and then overcame many obstacles and he set himself another massive challenge of trying to produce a wave pool in Norway. Now this project sort of in its early stages, just like mine is in Portugal. It's fascinating for all of you out there who dream of creating a wave pool. This is how you get going. Just don't give up. And there's lots of lessons in here where you can actually find out how to do this and how to accomplish what is a seemingly insurmountable task to create a massive wave pool worth millions and millions of dollars or euros. So listen up to Daniel and his amazing story. Just do me a favor, listen right to the end because he's got this incredible story about a world champion right in the end. And it just makes your heart sing, man. Amazing. So welcome, Daniel Figueredo, all the way from Norway. Daniel, thanks so much for jumping onto the Wave Pool Mag podcast. It's really cool of you to do this at such short notice. Thank you for the invitation. I'm glad to be it's here. It's a pleasure. I mean, I've been looking at your Instagram for some time over the last couple of years and, and following your story in a very sort of limited way because I don't really know much about your project, but I know that it's it's super cool and it's in Norway amongst the fjords, which is exciting. But um, you're Brazilian, so how on earth did a Brazilian get into Norway? Yeah, when I was back in, in Brazil, uh, I came from a poor uh, family and uh, I was working as a beach volleyball coach there. And then we met a lot of tourists and then uh, I... We, every year we got a group of Norwegians that came to Rio to, for, to practice uh, beach volleyball with us. And then uh, it was a shock, shock of reality for me because uh, I was working every day and uh, I had no money, for example, to eat out every, every day. And the, the students from Norway, they're doing this every single day and they're shopping. And I, and I started thinking it's something strange. They're just students and I'm working hard. Yeah, so I start to I, and I start to like the the language and the Norwegian cultures. I started to study a little bit about it, and then I decided to yeah to apply and I study to to study Norway and try my my life here. That's how I I moved to to Norway because yeah I applied to University of Oslo uh, and then I got a place there and then I did a. A year, a one year's uh, Norwegian course, and after that, I uh, started my bachelor degree in Norwegian. It was very challenging because I remember still to, to date that uh, my first class uh, in the university, I started sports science here. Uh, I finished my studies here. I started in Brazil and finished here. My the first teacher, uh, he was Danish, <laughs> so it's very hard to understand Danish even for Norwegians. <laughs> So, so it was uh, quite. But he was speaking experience. Norwegian, right, or English? No, he he was speaking Danish. Uh, so it was challenging at oh, the wow. uh, at the university. And I, of course, after one year speaking, uh, learning Norwegian, and then the first um, teacher you met, you meet is a Danish teacher. <laughs> it's a kind of crazy. Yeah, 
But then I. But that sounds I, crazy. Um, How can you learn Norwegian in one year? Yeah, we just have German because, uh, uh, like, it's one chance you had uh, once in a life, you know. Because if you don't accomplish the course, you don't know, you don't pass the course, so you have to. You can stay here, but you have to to pay the course yourself. The first year is completely free, the course, but if you don't pass, you have to pay a lot of money to to. To get the second year, so I just thought eh, it's the only chance I have because they have no money. <laughs> so I just did it and uh, wow. learned Norwegian enough to start a new university. And then there I accomplished my graduation and I came in Oslo for four years and then I came to Sunfjord where I'm in here. Yeah, that's an amazing story, man. Congratulations! That's that's serious challenge that you just overcame right there, like the first step in your life. Boom, amazing. Yeah, it's very, really hard, but I'm very glad that I took the chance and I put a lot of effort. So how about surfing? How did surfing come? Did you surf back in Brazil or what? No, it's a shame I have <laughs> because, no, because like surf is in Brazil can be, I'm from Rio de Janeiro, can be a, a very expensive esport if you don't have money, just like if you pay for classes and if you have to buy a board, it's very expensive. So I had no chance of uh, starting to surf there and then beach volleyball was the easiest way to be in, a, in activity. The ball is not so expensive. Yeah, but then uh, I didn't surf there and then I came to Norway and then uh, as a part of my my job here as a teacher. So I always uh, brought students to do surfing classes in Norway and in Rio de Janeiro. We traveled to Brazil and have like these uh, sport camps in Rio and uh, other places in Brazil. It was a very nice job. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, it's a smart way to get home, eh? Because then you can yeah. you can use the money from that trip to go to go home. That's yeah, smart. Well, it's right? a part yeah, of my job. job. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and but I never tried myself. But I like I grew up in Rio. I'm used to the waves. I'm used to the beach. So I, I could help the students with, to get the timing to get into the wave. I could help the instructors. So I was there helping the instructors to get the, the my students on on the waves. Uh, but I never tried myself until I I started with the project because. Uh, here in Norway, so when I started with the project, I just thought, okay, now I have to start learning. And then I started to learn. I'm still learning, and uh, and I'm using like a very long board. <laughs> I, I I call it my boat <laughs> because I, I'm a very big guy. <laughs> yeah, but that's an interesting question because like um, I was chatting to a guy in in Sweden, and he's got some. There's quite a bit of surf on the eastern coast of Sweden, which obviously you would imagine that there'd be much more surf on the west coast of Norway. So what is the surf like there? Is it incredibly good or, or what? Yeah, it depends. You know, uh, one of one of the most known beaches here in Norway, it's called uh, Hodevika. Uh, and uh, it's internationally known. Uh, yeah, and it's a lot of people that goes there and surf. And, uh, and then we have this uh, more south in Stavanger, uh, the Yaren uh, beaches. There's a lot. Yeah, like three, four, where people can go and surf. And then we have Lofoten in North Norway. Uh, they, there's a very nice um, documentary in the Netflix called uh, something about over the northern light, under the northern lights, something like that. So in the Netflix, so it shows a bit of this beach called Umstad in uh, Lofoten. So, but it's, the sport is increasing here. I have a good contact with... Uh, surfers here and the people that works at the Hodevika in the surf market and uh, it, 
they they can feel it's exponential. It's increasing a lot the the market here. Exponential, yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. Um, all right, I'll go, I'll go and do some research and I'll find that uh, documentary and I'll put that in the show notes so people can go and check it out and, and see what it's like to surf in Norway because obviously you have some severe challenges with with cold um, and, uh, you know, the water's not so warm there, right? Yeah, I think it's the in the winter, the challenge the challenge is the, the cold water for sure and the uh, minus degrees outside and then in the water it can be like two degrees uh, in the water and then you have to use a very thick uh, wetsuit that that give you less flexibility and that's the and then when it comes to summer uh, the waves are not so big not so good it's more flat so yeah so it's still some uh, challenge here when it comes to surfing already but uh, it's increasing it's a lifestyle. People are seeing it more like a lifestyle also also here in Norway. I have met like it's crazy it's crazy to see like uh, I have met people in Hodevika that had drove uh, drove nine hours from Oslo <laughs> to surf. And uh, it's very often I see that. And then we they came there they come there and there's no waves and they walk, oh my god. Now they have to drive back nine hours. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. That's crazy, yeah. But it's amazing. I mean, like I was chatting to Wave Garden the other day, and they were on the podcast, and and we were saying that surfing is, you know, like a drug, and wave pool tech providers are like drug pushers. <laughs> but anyway, um, so so you did your your education um, as a teacher, right? And then are you working as a teacher now? No, I worked for six years as a teacher, and now I'm working as. Um like a kind of project project leader in the non-profit organization uh, where I, I try to uh, create activities and projects for uh, children and young people. Yeah, so it's my job now since uh, August last year. Excellent. Okay, so, I mean, let's go more into the Sun. Is it Sunfjord? How do you say it? Sunfjord. <laughs> Sunfjord, okay. Sunfjord. But there must have been a time... A few years back that started you on your wave pool journey so what started it all for you and and where were you when this when this happened just to try and explain the exact place and time and yeah yeah i was here uh in sunfjord in a, in a city called uh, Firde, and i was here working as a teacher and uh we have this uh beach hall here with two beach volleyball court, courts uh and then uh, I just like thought I'm gonna make my Rio de Janeiro in Firda, <laughs> so it was warm there and uh, it was very nice inside there. It it doesn't exist now because uh, as a part of the project I put like I I I got money to build a climbing wall in, inside there, and then there are a lot of climbers now. So they what they did is they just uh, use it like a climbing. Uh, hole now it's just climbing there they just took all of all the sand out and i was just climbing and then there's a plot uh there was a plot besides it and then a friend of mine he told me daniel uh i i'm thinking about buying this plot here uh what do you think uh just get some idea what we can uh, develop here and then i thought to myself okay we have the sand we have the beach now we need the ocean and then i start to you know uh go in the internet and 
started looking for something that could uh, like uh, see uh, looks like the ocean. And then I saw this uh, the the first wave pool I saw it was the Murphy's waves in the CM Park in uh, Tenerife, I guess. Yeah. So I took contact with them first, and I started to develop the project there. And it, it started very small, and was just thinking about like, okay, just get the pool you know nothing else uh, and then i was just learning about swimming the the wave pool industry and uh, building my network for one year and then I, it's, it was in 2018 in january and then in january 2019 i just decided to go public with the idea i just I'm gonna just do it, <laughs> and then uh, I called the newspaper here, the local newspaper, and uh, and I did it. And Yolsta uh, Homen, uh, it's a camping place in uh, Sunfjord, in a, not in Furda, but in uh, Basen. Uh, they called me and said, uh, "So how far away is that from where your beach was?" Twenty uh, minutes, not more than that. Yeah, and then. Um, they offered me, like, Daniel, we really liked your idea, your project. We have uh, a plot here we can uh, use, develop the the project. And then it's, it can be a part of our investment in this project. Uh, yeah. And then I, I just kept uh, working with the, the idea, learning, building network. It's a kind of project that I never worked with. And uh, it's a very complex project. And... <laughs> It's a very big, huge project, and no one else uh, have done it in Norway. I know that some there was a project in North Norway in Budu that they tried for nine years, but I never heard again about it. So yeah, so for me it has been a very like learning process, uh, but things are going forward step by step. So now 2021. So the goal is uh, to to. To secure uh, the whole plot, you know that we want to build the, the facility on. Okay, um, but obviously, <clears throat> starting this up from scratch with with no experience in building waves, um, it's it must be really challenging. And like you said, you obviously enveloped yourself into the whole wave pool industry and tried to learn everything you could about the technology and about the rights and about the business behind it and everything. So, whose stories in the wave pool space did you really connect with? Uh, the one of the first person uh, to contact with was Eirik uh, in the surf era, Berlin. Yeah, from Berlin, yeah. Yeah, from Berlin. And then I I I, I used him a little bit uh, as a my psychologist <laughs> because uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not because I was like talking to him. I I don't know, man. It's very hard. I'm totally alone, and uh, it's a huge project. I don't know, man. And then he told me, Daniel, I, I started just like you. So keep it going. Uh, put a lot of energy on that. And uh, you have to push through a lot of walls. Uh, but don't give up because uh, uh, we're going to get it. Like, And then he told me, like, it took me five, six years to get where I'm at, I am now. So just hang on. And then he motivated me. And then I started to see all the projects uh uh, going, being um, accomplished around the world. And then uh, Alaya Base, of course, uh, it was amazing project. And like when I saw that uh, when it came out, they were going to build, I was, oh my God. Uh, I just felt that it was like myself <laughs> because because it's I I can compare a little bit because it's cold there, it's Switzerland, it's, you know, uh, 
yeah, and there's Adam Bonvin. Uh, he put a lot, a lot of effort as well. And then uh, I just heard the last podcast with him, and uh, I could relate a lot <laughs> to what he he said. Yeah, his story is amazing as well because I mean, he eventually he came from a sound engineering background as well, and also had no experience. And he's he's built this thing. Incredible. He's pulled everyone together and he's built it and he's launching, what, next month, I think. It's amazing. Yeah. I have really learned that uh, if you have a passion and if, and if you want to put a lot of effort and use time, uh, uh, either you're going to get it or you're going to learn a lot <laughs> on, on the way. And then that's what I thought the, the whole way, you know. Either I'm gonna get it, get it, I'm gonna build it, or I'm gonna have a lot of a huge experience uh, in a in a field that I have never done before. <laughs> so like, and of course the network, you know, building, you get met a lot of people, talk to a lot of people. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah, it's almost like the journey itself is yeah. is the reward, and even if you don't get to the end, it's still an amazing experience. But the only way you can really fail is to stop doing it and to yeah. give up. Yeah, it's the way I think as well. You know. I know that if I give up, uh, I don't know when it's gonna gonna build here in Norway. But now I'm, I like now I started alone, and now because I have not get uh, gave up and I given up and I continue to work. So now I have a kind of team with me. <laughs> uh, so I have people like help me out with the social media, the the website. I have people, uh, personal who help me uh, with the municipality and uh, with the landowners. You know, I have uh, another guy help me with the uh, uh, strategy, you know. So, yeah. So now we're not all alone now. Okay, that's brilliant. Um, so how did you, when you started in January 2019 and you're looking at that piece of land in the camping area, how has the concept evolved from there? So what, if, if you can try and paint a picture of what, in your in your eyes, what it'll look like when you when you walk through the doors? Yeah, there I think for me it's, uh, I, I see like it's perfect because uh, we can combine a lot of different activities there. You know, and the plot, because you you if the plots uh, around the plot you have this camping place, and they have already around thirty thousand visitors uh, per year. And then uh, beside it, we have a, a golf course, very nice golf course there, and we have the she the skiing resorts there. Not the resort, but there's King Lane, you know, and they attract a lot of people as as well. And then we have a huge uh, lake uh, that a lot of people comes to to fish trout there. A lot of fishing there as well. Very known place for fishing. So I think like once I got there, I saw everything combined. You no know, people coming here because I know that uh, a lot of people here are skeptical because there's there's no such a like huge surf culture in Norway. You know, and uh, people are like, "How are you gonna manage to get enough visitors to get uh, to get enough um, money, income, you know, for for the person?" But and then I try to to show them that it's not just surfing. You know, you're gonna connect surfing with bathing and uh, with the golf course, the restaurant, the beach bar, the events, the parties, the ski resorts, the camping place. You know. And then we have also areas uh, around that you can develop uh, cabins, you know, or small, uh, even a, a small hostel, for example, if you have uh, the investors for it. So you have the whole infrastructure, and uh, it's besides one of the main roads in Norway called E39. It comes from uh, Denmark, I guess. 
and uh, go to the north Norway. So, so do most people drive through, or um, because obviously Bergen is like three and a half hours to the south. Yeah. Oslo is what seven or eight hours drive away to the southeast. Um, yeah, and so then all- how are people going to get there? Yeah, and then we have uh, north. There's a place called Alisund. It's very known as well, but. But this 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 part of the no, no, Norway, it's called Vestlanda, the Western Norway. You know, it's the 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 I say the location that most Norwegians and uh, tourists come to visit in Norway. It's this part of the country they come. Uh, well, is that because of the fjords and the beauty of the, and the mountains? Yeah, it's because of the nature and all. Uh, you know, here in Norway we have this uh, this word "friluftsliv." It's the outdoor life, <laughs> you know, and mm. it's a very Norwegian thing. And uh, here in this part of Norway, uh, it's very accessible and you have a lot of opportunities for it here. So it's, it's fantastic uh, here, the, as you mentioned, the, the fjords as well. Uh, and of course, yeah. uh, if, if people are there. coming from Bergen and from Oslo uh, and they are going to Hodevika to surf, for example, uh, they are going to kind of uh, drive through the location of the plots in a way it's uh, you know like uh, when they when they drive through the the Sunfjord to go to Hodovica if they drive like half an hour for example so they are here mm-hmm. at, at the plots you know it's from Perfect. so it's well located with great access great on yeah. the main highway how yeah. many people do you think you're going to get per year yeah, how many we, people would you like to attract every year yeah we have this huge vision that uh, we want to try to to make it uh, indoor as in, in uh, some sometime like as in berlin because of the the weather uh, but we have done a, a interview not interview but uh, like what a, a meeting or an analysis a sur- or a survey a survey, a survey yeah a survey we did a survey, and then we got uh, like uh, 760 uh, responses uh, yeah, during one month, and then 90% were surfers, and they said that we come if the 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 wave pool is outdoor, no problem. We just put the suit on because it's the waves you we want, you know. So. So now, yeah. So now we're developing here, like thinking about making the the wave pool outdoors first, and uh, but at the same time, uh, constructing maybe a, a pool. I like a, a it's a pool that's also indoor but also outdoor. You know, you can you go in, you go you can just dive under the glass and then you are outdoor because then you, people can also join the view of the the mountain and also see the wave pool while while people are surfing. And then you have something to offer to batters. Okay, but this is not the wave pool. This is a, this is a swimming pool that you go indoor and out. Yeah, yeah, just to offer uh, something indoor to to the people that want to come and uh, bath and uh, eat something, you know, just just not just for surfers. And then you have the pool uh, for for surfers the whole year around. And uh, yeah, and the vision is to start with the wave pool outdoor and uh, and indoor. And about the the visitors, the number of visitors, I almost forget. <laughs> uh we have done some estimates uh and for the wave pool outdoors so we we look you see we see that around ninety thousand visitors we can do and uh and it would be enough to 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 go in, to get enough income income uh but our but my vision is like when we have uh it indoor and with the cabins you know with all the uh, the, the things we can put inside the facility 
plus the the golf course and the skiing resort and all the thing around all, all the stuff around we can get around 200,000 visitors uh, a year not yeah not just surfers but in general yeah and then obviously people can learn to surf they don't have to be hardcore surfers they can you know learn to surf in the white water but that that also begs the question is what kind of wave tech are you going to employ because obviously the wave tech journey that we all going on and speaking to wave garden and endless surf and surf lock and everybody who how, how, did, how does that journey look for you in the, in the last few years i mean have you spoken to all the major players yeah like i have thought i have talked to as i told you to morpheus waves i don't know what kind of technology i don't remember they use but uh surf- yeah pneumatic yeah uh, Mops waves and the surf floor, surf lock. Uh, I, I, I remember take contact with American waves and so yeah, all of them <laughs> I have to contact with. Uh, but uh, right now I'm working on two concepts: it's the wave garden uh, or and the endless surf. It's the two mm-hmm. concepts and the endless surf. Uh, they have been also very helpful uh, when it comes to to information and uh, even they have have been helping out uh, with some uh, design concepts uh, that helped me a lot. Yeah, I saw that on your website. Did they do that, um, the site plan on, on your website? Yeah, I just I just asked uh, the guy there, Circo, Circo uh, his name, that uh, it could help me a lot when I meet people because it's very challenging. I remember also Adam speaking about it. People don't know what a wave pool is, and they don't know the tech, uh, how the, it works. Uh, so when I come here from Brazil in Norway and start talking about wave pool in Sunfjord, and there's people like, it's, this man's crazy, or what, what he's <laughs> talking about. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then uh, I just asked me if it was possible for them to do it, and uh, it really helped me out to... Uh, at the first meetings with the potential uh, investors to get when I'm, because now I'm also in a journey where I'm trying to meet and get to know potential investors. And then I just told him like, put everything you can inside the plot and then we, we see what to do afterwards. <laughs> and then what they, they did. Yeah, because I mean, that's another question is, is, is when we're talking about the concept and originally you're just talking about having a wave pool and then you know, I think it might be attractive to try, oh, but we can put this in and this and you can put a climbing wall, you can put a canyoning section, you can blah, 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 blah. blah. All of a sudden, you've got a hundred activities in one, you know, this. So where do you stop and, and what kind of activities are you thinking of, of putting in that'll make um, extra commercial viability for you? No, we have uh, uh, talked to people here and it's very like pe- people that are kayak, kayaking, for, for example. They want to use the the waves and the stand up paddle, and uh, free free diving uh, up scuba diving courses. You know, people are saying that maybe it's possible to do some courses there before, like uh, water activities that normally you go uh, directly to the the river or to the ocean. You can do like an introduction first in the wave pool and then take people out in the real environment, you know, to make a little bit safer, of a, yeah, yeah, more a bit safer. Yes. 
you know so a, a kind of adaptation before and then of course uh, when it comes to like norwegians they they love to to bat and they love the summer and uh, they normally travel to portugal for example to spain many of them because they want to experience the tropical you know they get they want to get this tropical feeling and the tropical feeling is the one thing that we want to sell here because um, i think that could be very attractive like that they come here and we have a pool that looks like a beach and they you have uh, restaurants inside with a lot also a, a, another pool and you like just create this tropical environment in the nordic you know in the nordics it's uh that's what i mean i'm going to try to sell and i think it's possible because i don't know if you heard but uh, oslo they just opened a, a snow facility <laughs> indoor facility in january okay i didn't know that no yeah. so so if I just thought if Norway, one of the coldest countries in the world, build a snow facility indoor, why not a tropical facility to give people the tropical feeling that they always have to travel ab abroad to get? But I can also imagine like doing some really amazing restaurants with fires and you know like sort of chalet and and typical sort of northern country kind of climates around there would be an amazing experience like hot tubs etc. and yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. all the all the things saunas. All, yeah. But now those guys who have developed that. Um, the snow snow piste in in Oslo. Surely that would be great um, investors for you. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, but but then I have to to wait a little bit because, as I told told you, I want to uh, secure the plot first uh, and then uh, give more time to the project to 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 get how you say can I say it get more body to be more like to get mm -hmm. to get more form, you know. Because of course it's uh, it's developing, but we still are needing some more information uh, that's very important in this process. Uh, but of course, I see them as a potential investor or people that I have to talk with <laughs> because it's huge. Sure, but in in every journey, every person's journey, obviously the first thing to tie up is the land, and once that's done, then you've got a much more solid concept, and you can go to the investors, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's it's moving on. It's it's moving forward. Uh, next week we have a meeting with the the other uh, landowners, and then uh, it looks like they are positive to the project. So I really hope that uh, they are. And if they are, so we just have to do the formalities uh, and apply to the municipality for the permission uh, permits and. Uh, and then what are the major hurdles or milestones in your path at the moment? I mean, is it is it the permitting process that's holding you up or is it something else to do with the landowners? No, it's the the the, the it's just because it's the land that two uh, two no, three different owners, you know. So, but now uh, I think that everyone's going to agree that that's one way that we can uh, develop the plot together as a as a team and a part of uh, the same project, you know. So if I if we agree with that, so as soon as possible, we just do the formalities and send to the the municipality. I have been in meetings with municipality, uh, and they agree uh, with me that it's perfect the location there, uh, and that the the process will be a little bit easier because. Uh, the plot where it is situated, it's already it has already the permissions, or you know, you said the reg, it's al already regulated to this kind of activity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so it will be uh, perfect. So it's a good choice, yeah, because that's yeah, it's gonna be faster. They said 
the process. That's great because that's a big hurdle in anyone's path is to get the right regulations and permitting in, in place, especially here in Portugal as well. That's quite a challenge down here. Once you get Sunfjord built, will the Norwegian surf team have a chance at Olympic gold? <laughs> Do you want me to answer this question? <laughs> the yeah, Brazilian guy? <laughs> you, <laughs> but if you think about it, you know, once once it's built, um, is there a Norwegian surf team? There, there is. <laughs> there is a Norwegian surf team. Uh, they they participated in this uh, exhibition uh, tournament in the, the last one in uh, in Tokyo, I think. I if I, yeah, they were there. Yeah. But uh, of of course, my my goal is uh, that if we build it, so we we have more possibility possibility of giving the the surf team uh, more waves to train, you know, and uh, it's more available, and we can mix the waves. You can yeah. So of course, like a, a goal. Maybe it's gonna take some time, but if we manage to to come to the Olympics and participate, it's a be a very huge thing for the surf Norway Norwegian surf team. Absolutely, and I'm sure the Norwegian Surf Federation would welcome having a wave pool for them to yeah. to help their guys to train. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Guys I'm in contact girls. with them as well, and they they're cheering for the projects. <laughs> Yeah, I think we all are. I mean, I really hope I wish you all the best. But just one last question, Daniel. As a um, wave pools can obviously do one one of two things: they can take people away from the ocean and put them into pools and, and create more space in the ocean for um, for for surfers. Because at the moment, there's a lot of overcrowding and, and surf spots. Or they can just increase the number of surfers worldwide. What do you think will happen in ten years from now with with all these wave pools going up? How do you think it'll affect? Surfing. No, I really think that the the number of surfers will increase uh, more, but also the number of wave pools around the world. And uh, because when uh, at different countries and people see uh, that wave pool is also uh, the feature of surf, so and it's a business. So I think uh, uh, the wave pools will help to to the the beaches around the world that's overcrowded, but at the same time, it will contribute to, to increase the number of surfers. Yeah. Because I remember, um, obviously, football is probably the world's biggest sport. I think there's no doubt about that. And I was up in Porto, in the north of Portugal, at the Portugal the Porto Stadium. It's one of the yes, biggest yes. Um, football, football clubs in the world, right? And they've got a museum at the bottom of the stadium. And I think I've told the story in the podcast before, but I was looking at the museum and, and there was a photograph there from about 150 years ago in like 1890 or something, 125 years ago. And there were all these guys watching these chaps play football on this field. And this field was where I was standing right there in the museum. And now it's this massive stadium, which cost billions of euros to create. And if you think about how quickly in 120 years, how the sport of football has changed because of stadiums, and you, and you equate that to surfing and you think, well, hey, now we've got these wave pools, we can create these wave pools, stadiums, as it were, all around the world. Um, so you never know. Surfing in 100 years' time could be could be the world's most most popular sport. <laughs> yeah. No, but I remember I was watching a video from um, the wave garden pool in Spain. I think the some a lot of many national teams were there surfing, testing the pool. And then I remember this uh, coach guy from USA, and uh, he said, just thinking about that you can decide when and where the tournaments will be, and that you can take contact with the TV, you know, 
and then you can sell it to the, you know, like today you're going to have a surf tournament at nine o'clock and then you just turn all the waves and that it is. Perfect. I mean, it's a, and I remember that exact video. I've seen that from Wave Garden with that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they held Kelly Slater's um, competition in, in the surf ranch. And yeah. personally, I didn't think that went very well. I thought it was pretty boring. But I think if you hold it in something like a Wave Garden where you, or, or an endless surf where you can randomize the waves and then have, like flat spells for and like almost emulate the ocean. So so there's this uncertainty because I think that is what makes a competition at pipeline or something. You never yeah. know. It's like 15 seconds to go and there's like no waves on the horizon. And then suddenly, boom, one comes up and that's wins the guy the yeah. tournament. So yeah, also so we, people can think you know, about making some kind of uh, customized uh, customized events uh, where you can uh, uh, you can have the air events ar 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 uh, aerial events you know you can have I don't know but you can maybe create some kind of different events uh, yeah, because it's, we cannot compete with the ocean but we can uh, do something more exactly yeah we can emulate it I mean look at the, the success of Stab High in Waco in Texas I mean and I think they if COVID wasn't around they would have done something like that down in urban surf as well so yeah, it's exciting times for wave pools, and, and, I, and I'm I'm really excited about this whole space. It's amazing. So now, Gabriel Medina versus Italo Ferreira. Who do you cheer for as a Brazilian? Italo Ferreira. <laughs> <laughs> Why? No, I, it's because I uh, empathized a lot with his history. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, uh, he he was uh, very poor, and I. I one thing that happened was very cool uh, story. Uh, I was in Brazil, North Brazil, Natal, where he comes from. And I, I was there surfing for my first time. It's the first time I was surfing. I just, I just thought to myself, I go to Natal and I'm going to surf there because there's nice to learn. And then uh, one of the guys that uh, was helping me out to, with that, uh, he told me, oh, I know where Italo Ferreira lives. Let's go there. I'm like, okay, let's go there. And then he he was there. And then, but, but he was... And then, and then he was in the water. He was not at home, but his family owns a hostel there. So I went to this hostel and I met his father and his mother. And I started talking to them. And his father started talk, uh, uh, telling me the story when Italo Ferreira was using uh, uh, isopor, how you say, a tampa de isopor. So he was using he was using that as the surfboard. He he had no surfboard and he was very. So it young. was like a lid of the polystyrene box. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then he told me like every time he went to surf, that thing break broke. So I had to buy a new one, a new one, but it was cheaper, you know. Yeah, but it's how he started, and he's a very nice guy, and uh. Like he he he, do, he does a lot for the local community there, uh, and then suddenly he came uh, from the water to the hostel, and then I met him, and then uh, I I talked to him about the the project, and then he told me about his project uh, with children there, and we just uh, chatted a, a little bit, and then I invited him. <laughs> yeah, when I invited uh, Italo, when uh, the pool is ready, you have to go there and surf in Norway. Or if you don't need to, to wait until the pool comes, you come to Norway, visit me, and I take you to Hodevika in the cold water, and then you're going to surf there with me. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was very <laughs> nice. So, so when's he coming? I don't know, man. I don't know. I, uh, now, it was before he became a world champion. After that, it was impossible to get contact with him. 
Sure. Now, yeah. Of course. I mean, he's a superstar now. Yeah. Yeah. And he, oh, but he, that's such a fantastic story to end off with. That's really he amazing. Deserves, he deserves so it. Much. Yeah. He deserves that. He's a very nice and uh, kind of guy. Wonderful to see a world champion being as humble as that. And I think um, Judson Andre is pretty similar to that. He's got a similar story. And I think he's also on the same way. But um, yeah. That's great news, man. Well, listen, Danielle, thank you so much for coming on to the Waypool Mag podcast. It's awesome to hear your story and, and you've had some incredible challenges in your life and you're setting more. So all the best and, and best of luck for your for your, your future success. I really appreciate talking to you. Thank you very much. And I also invite people that uh, to follow us on in Instagram, Facebook. We have the website now that's uh, developing, but uh, it's, it's on. It's uh, soonfieldwaves.com and we just... Uh, type some food waves on Instagram, Facebook, and support the project. Maybe no resource yes. wave pole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Thank you. Thanks. Wave for your curiosity and stoke. <laughs>